0: Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, May 11th, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back 26th District Illinois House of Representatives member, Cam Buckner. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Ben Jarofsky got a new newsletter up this week. If you haven't checked it out, just head over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, B as in victory, S-K-Y.
1: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this CNN Horror Show Thursday, and here's why. Because last night was a horror show, ladies and gentlemen. CNN turned over about an hour of prime time uh, to Donald Trump for a town hall What it joke! to call it a town hall. Town hall kind of like suggests that it's a group of uh, like really civic minded people who've gathered together to ponder without bias the, the issues of the day and do some honest, serious reflection. <laughs> that was like a wrestling I mean, I was a huge fan of wrestling back in the day, I won't lie. Uh, so I actually appreciate the bravado that goes before it, the the smack, the trash-talking, the, trash the chest-thumping, all that kind of thing. But I don't know if it really has a place in, in politics, like serious politics. I know it is in politics to a certain degree. There is a certain amount of trash-talking, particularly with Donald Trump. He's changed things. He's just changed the whole tone and tenor of politics in this country. I mean, that's a reality that we're confronting right now, particularly uh, on the Republican uh, side of things uh but to see it just out there in the open or we're struggling with so many problems uh in it just in our old city here in Chicago every every day on this show we talk about problems like of crime asylum seekers budgets you know that just just trying to deal with all these compelling issues uh that are such a challenge and then we just have this comedy show on CNN and CNN you know let's be honest folks, they're as much as responsible in this as, as Donald Trump. They're so desperate for ratings that they turned their hour over to Donald Trump. The people in that audience were Republican supporters. Those are Republicans that were in that audience. They was like CNN said, let's just turn it, make a circus where Donald Trump gets to poke uh, Caitlin Collins and, not, and mock her and needle her. Uh, and she will then persist with her questions. That was the moderator. And the crowd will like boo and jeer and cheer Trump and laugh at his jokes. But there's one interesting political takeaway that I must uh, point out. It was a typical Donald Trump performance. He made fun of people. He mocked people. Uh, he uh, he bragged about and or dismissed everything. Let's think about what he went through. Rape. He was uh, convicted of sexual assault by a jury in New York. He mocked Eugene Jean Carroll, uh, the woman uh, who, who he raped. Uh, insurrection, he said, uh, was no big deal what happened on January 6th. He would let him go. He would, uh, if he could, he had the power. He would let the people who, um, he would pardon them. That's the what I'm looking for. Uh, vote stealing in Georgia. Mocked that, bragged about it, said he did nothing wrong. Stealing the federal documents and hoarding them while the government begged him to give them back. He mocked that, said he did nothing wrong. All his lies, his cruelty, all that stuff, he put it out there in display, open display. But the one issue that he ducked and dodged was on abortion. Caitlin Collins had to point blank. Are you for a federal ban on abortion? And he avoided it. Donald Trump, who brags about being unafraid to answer any question unafraid to take on any taboo, unafraid to mock people, needle people, be a racist, be an open misogynist, brag about his sexual conquests, even though they're rape. That Donald Trump, the white supremacist, the racist, the rapist, that Donald Trump, when it came to the issue of abortion, he backed away. And apparently Donald Trump, maybe one of the few people in the Republican Party, who took a look at the political consequences of the Dobbs decision, which went down last year. Supreme Court, largely picked by Donald Trump, at least three of the, the justices picked by Donald Trump, eradicated abortion rights across the country and made it a state-by-state issue. My distinguished uh, guest, Camp Buckner, deals with this all the time down in Springfield, all the time here in Illinois. It's a different political reality in Illinois than it is uh, in, uh, let's say, Florida or Texas, but it's a reality, a political reality here in Illinois. And in the aftermath of Dobbs, we saw a significant switch among independent voters, particularly women. And they started going Democrat. And the one takeaway Donald Trump has about the political consequences of Dobbs is that he can't support a national federal ban. He can't openly at this moment, anyway. And it's so bizarre and twisted when I think about it, because what is he saying about voters in this country? It's like the ultimate insult to voters in many levels. I could be a rapist. I can be a racist. I could be an insurrectionist. I could try to steal an election. I could deny that I lost. I could make up all kinds of lies that undermine our democracy. I could stir up mobs. I could be cruel, I could be vindictive, and I could steal and hoard government documents. Any normal person would be in jail for that. But the one thing I can't do (laughs) is the one thing my cultists want me to do the most, which is to outlaw abortion. What does it say about you, America? I'm as pro-choice as they come. Every guest who comes on the show pretty much is pro-choice. But it's such a twisted attitude about Americans. Like, this is the one thing? Oh, okay, I'll put up with the rapist, but I can't. I don't know about the abortion rights. Okay, I'll put up with the liar, the white supremacist, the racist, etc., and so forth. But this is the line I can't cross. We're in a weird place in America, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, I hope any of you who are pro-choice or lean that way don't think that somehow or other... Like, Donald Trump will look out for your interests. Putting aside the fact that he's a rapist and a racist and a white supremacist and all that stuff, he's the one who appointed the three judges, the three justices who did away with Dobbs. So it's this is his handiwork. <laughs> the fact that there's this crisis in this country right now where abortion rights exist in some states like Illinois, but not in other states like Texas and Florida. This is Donald Trump's handiwork. Now he's trying to pretend like he's got nothing to do with it. Very strange, twisted world we live in right now. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest. He's been very patiently waiting. Uh, State Representative Cam Bucker, good friend of the show. Welcome back, Cam.
2: Hey man, thank you for having me. man.
1: Yes, I uh, I promised just so listeners know, I promised Cam uh would be on the show a couple of weeks ago. We had some technical difficulties; it didn't work. uh People were asking, "Hey, where's Cam?" <laughs> I said, "Well, we'll get him back. Don't worry. I'll reach out and." uh He's been very generous with his time. He's in Springfield right now. Took a break from uh, uh, the legislating down there. Uh, Cam, before we get started on the local issues, uh, the state issues, I know you told me you did not watch uh, Donald Trump's um, uh, town hall with CNN last night, but I'm sure you're a political junkie. You have followed it in most general uh, sense. Uh, what's your thoughts about a, uh, the situation in our country right now where Donald Trump is leading the polls on the Republican side?
2: Yeah, so man, I I didn't watch it, but I did read about it, um, and I've talked to some of my colleagues who who spent some time watching it yesterday. Uh, and first off, when, when I heard it was going to happen, uh, I got you know I got some half information. I didn't realize that it was actually happening on CNN. I was really shocked by them giving him this platform and giving him the space to, to do what what he did. Um, it is extremely troubling to me that uh, we are you know for. For you know, two three years into the Biden term, now uh, having a conversation about another Donald Trump possible presidency, um, as if we did not learn our lesson uh, in 2016, right? And so, um, I'm really curious to see how the Republican Party settles on who they want to be when they grow up uh, in, in this space, um, and if he is truly their leader, uh, what that means for their future. But I think it's really disheartening and it's scary.
1: Cam, you uh, have a privilege, uh, and I have that in quotes, that most or many Chicagoans don't. Uh, On a daily basis in Springfield, uh, you're meeting with Republicans. So the people who elected Donald Trump, the people who try to reelect Donald Trump, are people that you deal with on a regular basis all the time as a state rep. Uh, I mean, there's Republicans elected into the state uh, house. Do you ever have a private conversation, uh, with a Republican down there where they say, Oh my God, I can't believe this lunatic's in charge. Do you ever have a moment with, with a Republican when they re- recognize the obvious that they've turned their party over to a madman?
2: Yeah. So I have been. And one one thing I, I try to do um, and try to be very intentional about is making sure that I do have conversations with the other side. Um, if, if for no other reason to, to see kind of where they're coming from, uh, even though I don't agree with them on, on you know, 90% of things, um, and so I have had a lot of conversations with Republicans uh, about the former president, uh, about, you know, him, quote unquote, hijacking their party. Uh, and, and the odd thing, you know, and I had not thought about it this way until you just asked the question. Um, the, the odd thing is that the folks who have had, you know, really practical conversations with me about uh, what Donald Trump did to the GOP, uh, those are folks who are no longer in Springfield. Uh, and those are Republicans who felt pushed out by the fringes of their party. Um, i won't say names but you know political junkies can figure out who some of those folks are uh and and they felt like their party left them behind right and so either they, they left voluntarily here or they they lost uh in really heated primaries uh in the last election cycle uh and you know it really is is, is it's all a, a a symptom of kind of where their party has headed uh, but the folks who are staunch uh trump republicans who have defended him in every turn uh, they're still in springfield I and mean, they're making a lot of noise uh, and they're in state capitals around
1: the country, and we've seen that. Mm, yeah, the takeover is complete. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to switch to uh, local news. I'm going to start by promoting an appearance that uh, Cam will be doing with me uh, and Maya Dukmasova at the Nighthawk, uh, which is a uh, bar in Rosetta Rodriguez's ward. Uh, Alderwoman Rodriguez, we're coming to your ward. uh thirty third. <laughs> yeah, that's an uh, sure be there uh, to greet us, North Kimball. And um, we'll be talking CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, public transportation in the city of Chicago, hugely important issue. Uh, and uh, Cam Buckner is on mayor-elect Brandon Johnson's transition team. Uh, I believe you're the co-chair, if I get that correct, uh, uh, dealing with CTA. So you've been had an opportunity, well, just not only as a mayoral candidate yourself to study the CTA, but uh, also... Um, in your role as uh, on the transition team. So let's just start with some generals, Uh, Cam. Cam, again, we're we're having a a deeper dive conversation on this on June 6th, urge everybody to check it out. Uh, But in general, what are the challenges that the CTA is facing as we head into the Brandon Johnson era here in the city of Chicago?
2: I think CTA's biggest issues are are, uh, obviously reliability, uh, safety. Um, effectiveness, right, and and so when we look at the overall system and the inequities and the issues that exist there, um, you know I, I know that Brandon has talked a lot uh, about trying to kind of right some of those wrongs. Uh, service has to be reliable, right? And unfortunately, when we talk about safety on the system, uh, people want to throw police at it. They want to throw a hundred million dollar contracts for uh, security guards with German shepherds at it. Uh, that doesn't really fix the problem, right? Um, a a system that is well used and reliable is often a much safer system. People like to commit crimes in places where people don't exist um, because they don't want to get caught, right? But if we can get ridership back up, uh, and only way we can do that is by uh, I- increasing our effectiveness and reliability, uh, then we'll be able to, 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 I think, make some real headways here. And so I'm excited about uh, my role as the um, as the co-chair of the transportation subcommittee on the Merrill Lake transition team. Uh, I've said this before, Ben, I think transit is such um, such an important piece uh, of the puzzle, and I think it, it, it spreads across all these issues that we talk about. I've said this, if you show me a, a transit system with a safety problem, uh, I can show you a city with a safety problem. If you show me a transit system with a homelessness issue, I can show you a city with a housing issue. Uh, if you show me a um, transit system that has a, an environmental um, uh, problem, then I could tell you a city that's not taking, uh, you know, the green revolution seriously, right? And so I, I think that we, we've we got to be at the forefront of these issues, and CTA, uh, I think, is the perfect thing to to bring a lot of us together uh, to begin some real movement in, in this city.
1: When you talk about safety issues on this uh, CTA, you said uh, $100 million contracts to security firms to have guards and dogs is not the answer. Uh, what, what do you think is the answer in terms of security and safety on the CTA? There's a few
2: things, right? Uh, so that there are um, 30,000 cameras right now on the system. Uh, unfortunately, those cameras are not connected to a central security location, right? And so the cameras, uh, the technology that we have, it's not talking to each other, right? Um, the second thing is that uh, we've seen transit systems like the ones in New York and LA uh, use um, a system where people can text message a number Or using an app contemporaneously to say, listen, X, Y, and Z is going on on train car 355 heading towards 95th and Dan Ryan. Um, Someone should come check this out. You know, those of us who ride public transit, we always hear the term, "If you see something, say something." But uh, my question is, say something to who, right? Um, And and so, uh, this doesn't. This is not like you know, um, revolutionary technology. It exists. We need this uh, here in Chicago as well. And then the last thing I'll I'll say is that, once again, going back to reliability, when these strains are clean and they're running and they're reliable, um, we have seen crime drop. Uh, And and I know that in the life of the administration, you know, what they tried to do with this security contract was was try to fix things. But for those of us who ride the system, and I've said this before, uh, making us feel like this is 1960s George Wallace's Alabama with these, you know, with these uh, German Shepherd guard dogs on the system, It's not making anybody safer. It's a waste of money. Uh,
1: And uh, I know the line, if you see something, uh, say something. Uh, And then as you point out, well, who are you saying it to if no one's listening? Uh, Let's assume someone's listening. Now, the question is, what do you say? Uh, And I'm thinking now of the tragic um, death that happened, murder that happened on the, the New York subway, which I'm sure you follow. We've been talking a lot about this on the show. Where there was a man who was having sort of like a mental breakdown uh, on the train, and another passenger choked him to death. I, to, I just stripped everything down to the bare, yeah. the bare minimum. Uh, there, Cam. Obviously, I was not on that train car. I didn't see what happened. I didn't see what uh, went down. I'm still waiting for a report from the authorities in New York to say exactly what went down. But what do you do at a moment like that? You know, if someone's having a mental breakdown in your car. Uh, I know I've been in situations like that many times, Cam, where just put my head down, wait till I get to my stop. If the dude is really embarrassing or uh, obnoxious, just go into another car. I've never confronted a person, I've never tried to uh, interact with the person in any way. Uh, what's your thoughts about this? How to deal with something like this if you're sitting in a train car?
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate what we saw in New York and I uh, just like you,
1: Ben, I'm also waiting to, to
2: hear more and, and learn more about what uh, really occurred. But what we do know is that a, a person lost his life uh on, on the on the transit system there. Uh and those of us once again who ride CTA regularly or even those who may ride periodically, um, we've seen uh issues like that. We've seen people who are um you know having uh, episodes with, with their mental health, uh folks who um, are going through tough times on, uh, on, on the train and, and the buses in, in Chicago. Uh, you know, I, I think at some point human nature has to kick in. Uh, you know, it, it is, um, I think it's important that we find ways to look out for each other just as, as human beings uh, and, and you've got to be smart and measured about how you do that. Uh, we've got to have a better apparatus and better infrastructure, I think available as a, as a city, as a state, as a country. Um, to address these because I don't think any of us can just tell you what the what the the, the proper response to that is because you're in the moment. Um, but you know we should be prepared um, that as we deal with the mental health crisis in this country, in this city, in this state, um, that we are going to have to have tools at our disposal um, so that things like what happened in New York do not happen.
1: Uh, and uh, the final point about the CTA of course is the finances of the CTA uh and uh the potential uh, without the feds kicking in for uh, COVID assistance as they have been doing for the last uh, two years that the cta could run out of money your thoughts on that
2: well yes yeah, so there is a fiscal cliff looming and i fully expect at some point um uh the cta through the lens of the rta the regional transit authority is going to come to springfield asking for some help asking for some money to kind of soften the blow uh and you know I stand that they're ready to advocate for uh that help for the system but uh not without um, some commitments from RTA and CTA about what they need to be doing differently um specifically with CTA uh you know and now this is a bit of a, 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 a tease on some leg- legislation uh I'm working with Senator Ro Bulum uh, and we're going to drop some legislation in the next few hours here actually uh that will uh, require uh, CTA and RTA to do a number of things, but uh, for one, CTA needs to join the Metro Fair Transit South Cook pilot program um, to reduce transfer costs and to reduce fares along corridors in Chicago to have uh, the most essential workers, which, which is what we learned during the uh, the pandemic. Um, we need to have a real plan for the electrification of our bus fleet from an environmental standpoint. And so, um, once RTA comes to us and asks, you know, is looking for Um, these dollars to, like I said, soften the blow. I think the state needs to be prepared to do that, and I'm prepared to talk to governor first about that, Uh, but it has to come with some real commitments and some real parameters uh, to change the way we do transit in this state, not just in Chicago, but um, around the state of Illinois.
1: We talked earlier about how isolated uh, the Republicans are uh, in in Springfield. We're going to get into a a deeper conversation about that. Rich Miller, shout out Rich Miller's column that he wrote this Sunday in the Sun-Times. About culture wars in Springfield, um, do you see any potential for for support uh, from Republicans uh, to help the CTA or the RTA?
2: Yeah, there, there are still some um, some practical, well-meaning
1: Republicans in this building.
2: A uh, uh, few and far between, but they do exist. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having you know more in-depth conversations with those folks about, about moving it forward. Um, I've had some conversations with uh, the current uh, minority leader in, in the House. Uh, Tony McCombie, who uh, I think understands this uh, and is willing to to help and be helpful.
1: And so I'm, I'm optimistic. All right. I, I hope we could be optimistic as well. Um, related directly, of course, uh, to the CTA, some of the problems of the CTA is the problem of what you call public safety uh, and uh, crime in the, in the city of Chicago. And just to remind everybody, Cam Buckner uh, ran for mayor. He was in the first round, you know, Many parallels between you and Brandon Johnson, the man who eventually won. It could have easily been you. So, Cam, you had the issue of crime uh, on the campaign. And now here it's been, what, about two months since the campaign. Your general thoughts on the direction you'd like to see uh, the Johnson administration go uh, to deal with uh, the issue of public safety in Chicago?
2: So I, I think that the mayor-elect really does have a, a strong understanding of what we have to do to um, to to fully address public safety uh, in Chicago, and and he has been very clear uh, as I was doing my mayoral running, as I've been in my time uh, in Springfield, that public safety is not uh, a law enforcement centric idea. Public safety is, um, is fully funding our schools. Public safety is having m- mental health treatment available. Public safety is affordable housing, right? Uh, and so being able to do all of those things to be able to, to have the long-term solutions that we want for, from a violence and crime reduction and prevention standpoint, but we obviously have to do something in the immediate, right? Um, the consent decree for CPD cannot be the floor. Uh, I mean, it can't it can be, can be the ceiling. It has to be the floor, um, you know? And, and so I, I've talked to the mayor-elect uh, about making sure that in the next police superintendent uh, that we bring in on a full-time basis actually understands that. Uh, that they're in touch and in tune with our communities. They can have real conversations with the folks on the ground who live in these communities every day. Uh, but we, we've got to have a holistic, all-hands-on-deck approach. Um, Chicago has an opportunity to really get this right, and I think people around the country are watching us uh, to see how we how we meet this moment.
1: I know uh, what I'm about to say may fall into the category, the bar is low, uh, but one of the points that Brandon Johnson made in the, uh, in the runoff was the need uh, to have more detectives to solve crimes and that if you don't solve crimes then there's no accountability or consequence for people committing crimes uh, it's a point he made uh, in the, uh, particularly strong in the runoff uh, and so I find like amidst this horrific story that's unfolding in the city about the murder of the young police officer gunned down as part of a robbery uh, the fact that four suspects were arrested in charge and the police accumulated uh substantial amount of evidence uh, to prosecute. Uh, and the fact, I don't know how closely you follow this one cam, but that uh, somebody stepped forward, that the crime was so horrific and somebody stepped forward to report what he knew. I just find there's something like amidst that horror, that story of, uh, Ariana Preston being gunned down, like a glimmer of hope. Yeah. I, I hope you. I, I don't. If I'm too uh, naive here, but your thoughts on this? No, I think you're right. Um, and and listen,
2: Brandon Johnson is correct to focus on more detectives to solve crimes. Right. Uh, I, I think that we have to have real conversations about the fact that, unfortunately, with a clearance rate as low as we have it, uh, there are repeat offenders. Uh, running around the city, who are committing homicides uh, over and over and over again, and and not uh, being brought to justice, right? And unfortunately, I can tell you, Ben, I think that our communities are very often trying to cooperate uh, with the authorities, um, but that there's still a, a a a rift there, right? There's a there's a some uh, there's a there's a chink in the armor, right? And and so you know we've got to have conversations about how we move that forward. I've talked a lot about maybe even scrapping the clearance rate uh, because the clearance rate is an opaque number that doesn't really tell you what really has happened. Um, I think we need a straight up uh, um, metric that says, you know, X amount of homicides occurred in this year and X amount of these cases were closed by bringing somebody to justice, right? Um, Because the the clearance rate, even though it sounds like it does, that, that's not really what it, what it, uh, what it measures. Um, We've got way too many unsolved crimes in Chicago, and uh, I think what we saw with Officer Creston's um, uh, unfortunate uh, homicide uh, was with the swiftness that CPD was able to work with the community to, to find uh, the, the alleged perpetrators. Um, you know, those are there are families around the city who want that same type of justice. Uh, I, I presented a bill yesterday that was a, a bill about giving resources to police departments around the state to um, find ways to actually close cold cases. Um, and I gave the example of those in the first in 1994, uh, uh, uncle of mine was shot in a drive by shooting in the greater Grand Crossing neighborhood. Um, in a, in a in a community in front of a building that is now uh, in the district that I represent. Uh, and, uh, that was 1994. man. I was nine years old. I'll be 38 years old tomorrow. Um, and that, that murder is still unsolved, right? And so, uh, the, it's so many Chicagoans who have stories like that, and so when we talk about actually um, bringing folks to justice and closing out crimes that happen, I think that is a, uh, a tremendous step in the right direction for us. And I know the mayor has committed to that as well.
1: That murder is unsolved, but I guarantee you, Cam, somebody knows who did it. That's right. There's somebody in the city of Chicago who knows who did that murder. That's right. And it's the the extraordinary thing for Chicago. Uh, about what went down uh, with the investigation of our Ar- Ariana Preston's murder is that uh, this again this is from today sometimes a 16 year old bragged about it to a friend the friend went to the police and they set up a sting where the police were listening while the friend uh, and the 16 year old talked and the 16 year old continued to brag about it and the culture in Chicago, and this is not just about murders, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna take it a little further, see where Cam agrees with me in this. I, I think of the city council. When Danny Solis uh when was word broke that he was wearing a wire and brought down Ed Burke, what was the response of the alderman? The alderman didn't say, Oh, good job, Danny Solis. The Alderman said, Well, that's a snitch. That's a rat. Yeah. I'm like, How? Cam Buckner. (laughs) I mean, I love this city, but sometimes I just don't understand this city, Cam. You know what I mean? How can you tell citizens to call the police, get involved, you know, be law-abiding, follow the rules? And then your aldermen are like, what a snitch, what a rat. And they give Burke the standing ovation when he leaves. Cam, sometimes I'm like, the city of Chicago is its own worst enemy. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, it it is definitely cognitive dissonance, um, and and we gotta find a better way, I think, to deal with these things. But yeah, you're you're right, um, you know, especially those of us in in the elected space. I think we we definitely got to lead by example. When I, when I first got to Springfield, one of my uh, more seasoned colleagues told me, you know, they pointed out all the people I shouldn't be talking to because they they were probably wearing wires. Um, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not saying anything that I don't want to be on the wire anyway, so I'm, I'm not worried about it. But um, yeah, there's there's a culture there, for sure.
1: That's hilarious. If you're talking to someone that's supposedly wearing a wire, you should, like, lean into wherever you think the wire is. <laughs> uh, where is it? You think it's under yeah. your armpit or- Right, Right, right. <laughs> uh, all right. The other big story um, in the city of Chicago uh, is, are the – the growing uh, crisis over asylum seekers. And um, it's such a big story that it made the front page of today's New York Times. How about that? The city of Chicago in the front. Usually Chicago brags whenever they make the New York Times. I don't know if they're bragging about this. Uh, and uh, the 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 lead is like so many other leads and articles I've seen about this, about uh, asylum seekers uh, seeking shelter at police stations. Wow so twisted and weird camp buckner this city with all the vacancy we have all that vacant space we have in the city of chicago and you know this as well as anybody because uh you you live in the city of chicago so you know that we have a lot of room in the city of chicago we don't have space we don't have places uh for eight thousand asylum seekers who are on the floors of police stations uh your thoughts about how chicago can uh deal with this crisis yeah, the first thing I want to say
2: again is that we've got to remember that uh, asylum is a human right, right? And um, I think we do have a duty as a city to not just be welcoming in word, but be welcoming in deed as well, right? Um, th- that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, we have to be sensitive to the fact that we have communities um, that have also been suffering a humanitarian crisis, right? Um, communities around Chicago. Folks who have been here for a long time. Uh, coincidentally, uh, both uh, the Wadsworth Elementary School in Woodlawn, where um, you know the, the the first kind of fight around asylum seekers began a few months ago, uh, and uh, South Shore High School, which is um, the most recent place that uh, had a big town hall. Um, they're both in my in my legislative district. Uh, and uh, as I talk to folks in the community, they're not xenophobic. They're not anti-immigrant. They're not anti-asylum seeker. Uh, What they want is some commitments from the city to invest in their communities as well. Um, Honestly, there's no reason that South Shore High School should still be empty today uh, because it closed down years ago. uh, And it's the middle of a community that has had a a real rash of violence lately um, with young people needing somewhere to go and places to be and things to do. Uh, But we've left these buildings uh, unoccupied and unprogrammed and left them out of the stream of commerce. Uh, much to the de- detriment uh, of these communities, and so um, I think we we got to have a, um, uh, a, a addition or growth mindset. We can do both. Um, we can find ways to um, protect these asylum seekers, give them asylum, um, and we can also find ways to invest in the communities uh, that have been left behind. There, there is this kind of you know I think growing a rift uh, between black and brown communities about this, and I think it's dangerous. We got to have a real conversation about how to move forward. Um, uh, just a few months ago, when this conversation first began to come to the fore, uh, I was really perturbed by the, I think, the toxicity in the conversation. Uh, and so I called a number of my colleagues and I said, we need to stand together and have a conversation about this in the public. And so um, I stood in front of the Wiseworth Elementary School with uh, Jeanette Taylor, and Byron Cito Lopez, and Andre Vasquez and Robert Peters. Um, and. As black and brown electives, uh, we wanted to, you know, give, um, a, a signal to folks that we were not going to be divided on this issue and we're going to have, um, a solutions based conversation. Uh, the important part to me also then was, um, I also stood there with, with my wife, um, who is Cuban Ecuadorian and our son who, um, obviously is Afro Latino. Right. And so, uh. You know, these these are conversations we have to have. There is a way to figure out all this, but you're right. With with all the the empty housing we have in Chicago, all the blighted properties that we can turn into um, real housing, there's no reason we should have an asylum seeker issue here. There's no reason we should have a homelessness issue here. Uh, We have the ability and the tools to do it. We just need the political
1: will to actually get it done. Well put. Uh, And uh, kudos to you and Jeannette, JT, good friend of the show. Uh, and Byron for doing that, because uh, I've watched, this is me speaking, uh, not Cam Buckner, I've watched the powers that be in this city create and exacerbate that divide between uh, Blacks and Latinos. Folks, I can give you a whole history lesson about the Mayor Daley and the Hispanic Democratic Organization. I don't think this is the right time to do that whole history, but there was unity when Harold Washington was the mayor. And then there was a conscious effort by the powers that be in this city to divide those two communities because it was politically expedient to do so Cam Buckner. And we are now 30 years later, we're, we're paying the consequences for it. So I'm happy to see uh, that Jeanette Taylor and uh, Byron Sisha Lopez yourself uh, and Robert Peters uh, could get together uh, on that issue. All right. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, you ran for mayor, uh, you wanted to be mayor. Uh, it didn't work out obviously. Uh, so now you're watching, uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, are there moments when you go, Hmm, how would I handle this if I were the mayor elect? And the one that we've been talking a lot about, we've had a field day with this is the city council reorganization. Uh, and, um, Brandon Johnson, um, making certain that his allies were in charge of committees. Uh, so as Monroe Anderson, who was our guest yesterday, put it, you don't get stabbed in the back <laughs> or the front for that. Or the matter. front, right. Yeah. yeah. Front. Uh, so your thoughts would uh, on how Brandon has handled it and how you might have handled it. Go ahead, Cam. Let me say,
2: I, I want to be clear about this. Um, you know, uh, this was a long mayoral campaign, uh, 10 to 11 months. Uh, and, We got to all spend a lot of time together uh, and then share ideas. And and Brandon and I probably had the closest relationship coming into this race. And leaving out, we still have the closest relationship. Um, I never considered him my opponent. Uh, I've said this before. I've I've considered him my my co-conspirator, right? Um, And uh, I made a joke the other day to somebody that, you know, the the, the, the next best thing or maybe the best thing other than being married, Having the mayor be able to answer your phone call whenever you call, um, and so uh, we've had some really good conversations about about things. Um, and you know, uh, when I look at uh, the the road ahead and and the things that he is going to have to address, um, there's no shortage of issues, right? Uh, but I also believe there's no shortage of solutions. And so what what he was able to do with the city council. I think um, was a interesting first salvo, uh, you know, kind of across the bow to show folks that he understood um, governing in Chicago and how things work. Uh, I'm excited about a lot of uh, the folks in these spaces, right, and some of the the the, the placements that people haven't spoken that much about. It, I think are really really pivotal things, like you know Gregory Mitchell, um, and you know over the transportation committee, which is all, all, you know super important to me. Um, it's going to be a coalition, right? And Brandon found a way to build a coalition to win a mayoral race. Now he has to build a coalition to actually be able to govern. And I think that this is a step in the right direction. Um, there are folks who uh, who were not with him during the campaign, uh, who he has brought into the tent, which I think is important. Uh, and you know, I, I think over time we'll, we'll see that this was the right move. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. The city council has changed completely. Um, they have a independent streak that we've never seen before, uh, and so he he is governing uh, in
1: a very new space. Yeah, and uh, here's a little piece of advice to you, Brandon Johnson, which you're free to ignore. You only need 25 <laughs> votes. You only need 25 votes. Just sort of divorce yourself from that notion that Mayor Rob put out there that you need 48 votes to like beat a man, or no, you only need 25. That you get to be the 26th. I'm just saying, Brandon, That's right. it's basic math. I, I learned it at Evanston Township High School way back when in the 70s. <laughs> long before Cam Buckner was born? Uh, all right, Cam, we couldn't have an appearance on this show without asking you a Bears question. Sorry, I'm going to ask it uh, to you. It's all uh, good. Cam is an outstanding football player from the city of Chicago, uh, Morgan Park High School, uh, and uh, a diehard Bears fan. Uh I, I feel a little sorry for him. I share the ailment. Um, so it's a twofold question. We'll start with the easy part first. Uh, then we'll get to the harder one. The first part is uh, how you think they did uh, in draft. And the second one will be uh, the future Bears financing of a new stadium, which was an issue that you had to deal with on the campaign trail. I saw you uh, d- uh, confront that question many times. So we'll start. Do you think the Bears, as a Bears fan, are you happy with the, with their draft? They took an offensive lineman, so, you know, that to yeah. make you feel good.
2: <laughs> well, listen, that, that that means that they understand they've got to protect Justin Fields. Justin Fields is a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback for this franchise, uh, and I think um, we've put him through some toils and some tribulations uh, in his first years here. Uh, but in order for him to kind of reach his full potential, we've got to be able to protect him. And so uh, I'm excited about the Darnell right pick. I watched him play uh, at, at Tennessee. He's big. He's fast. Um, and I think that he can fit well into this offense and he can protect Justin, uh, which is going to be important. I also think we got some really good defensive linemen um, uh, in, in in the draft and we've got some real good speed at receiver. Uh, and so I'm extremely happy about what Ryan Poles and his squad did um, in, in this draft. It's, it is it's probably the first draft, Bears draft in a very long time where I didn't walk away feeling disappointed. And so that's a that's a big deal for me.
1: Yeah, disappointed or totally confused. When they took Mitch Trubisky, that was like, uh, what? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What? (laughs) Uh, What? Wait, huh? Uh, (laughs) I still haven't got over that. That was six years ago. I still have not got over that. Uh, All right, future of Bears Stadium. Uh, Lots of action on many different fronts in Arlington Heights, uh, in Springfield not so much in Chicago that we could see uh, your thoughts. Are the bears definitely going to Arlington Heights, in your opinion? Is there a chance that Chicago will retain them? Your thoughts about where things stand? Yeah. it
2: uh, You know, Ben. I think it, it ain't over until Virginia McCaskey sings. Right. Um, and and I, I don't think that it's over yet. I think that there's going to be um, hopefully a reset of the conversation with uh, the mayor elect. And um, he and I haven't had this conversation yet, but I, you know, he's a diehard bear fan and, um, he wants them to stay in chicago as, as most of us do um i'm doing my part here in springfield to remind folks that um public financing should not be an option that's on the table whether it's um you know uh sh- you know straight subsidy money that goes to them uh, or a property tax break that other folks wouldn't get listen um i, I am extremely disappointed and disheartened in the the situation that the NFL has created where cities uh, are having to pay for these huge mega stadiums um, for these billionaire families who own these sports franchises uh, and that being the only way that teams think that they can be financially successful in the new, in this era of the NFL, uh, I think is irresponsible to the NFL fans um, and to the people who are taxpayers in these cities. Right. And so um, that being what it is, uh, Chicago and Illinois are not in a position to subsidize the Bears' move, um, and we're still paying money on the first Soldier Field renovation, uh, which uh, was problematic, but it was pushed through. Obviously, um, we still have to be able to deal with that. And I don't—I've um, you know, been very clear. I'm—I'm you know, I'm not the Bears' favorite person right now because I've been very clear that they won't be coming down to Springfield, uh, you know, pushing us to give them money and and have you know me and some of my colleagues be quiet about it. Uh, the other thing I'll say is just being and, and I'm. I want to make sure I get this out in public because um, it's something that's bothered me for a long time. I think the Bears have been a bad neighbor in Chicago. I think they have not um, really uh, contributed to the fabric of this city. They use our name, uh, Chicago. Uh, They they live in public housing, Soldier Field, right? Uh, And um, they've not really contributed. We've got football programs in the Chicago Public League that don't have helmets. Uh, and, and the Bears have not stepped up and, and, and been a partner. Uh, and so not only am I asking the mayor-elect to, you know, do what he can to keep them here, uh, but have them commit to being a better partner for the city of Chicago. Uh, I've talked about finding a way to ask the Bears to move their practice facility to the city. Um, we're seeing a lot of sports franchises do that. The, 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 the Bulls did that. The, the Bulls moved to, to the West Loop, right, uh, to the West Side. Um these young players, they like to live in cities. Um, you know, I'm friends with a number of guys who used to play for the Bears. But I, I remember the fact that when, when Matt Forte was playing for us, Matt would get a car service from his house um near the old Cabrini Green projects up on on, on you know, by Kinsey to the practice facility every single day. Um and they were there would be guys that would carpool with them because they want to live in the city, right? And so I want the, I want the Bears to play in Chicago. I want them to practice in Chicago. I want them to camp in Chicago. I've talked about this. They they did a great job um, building up the the campus of Olivet Nazarene when they were in A. How about Chicago State University? We got a lot of space over there on 95th Street. Um, I want to see a real commitment from the McCaskey family in Chicago. Bears to Chicago, they owe it to us.
1: That is a great riff. I I cheering you on that riff. I mean, this is one of my pet peeves and we have to close the showdowns, but I could go on and on it's just across the board failure of our sports franchises to significantly contribute to the city of Chicago. Uh, And I have seen this. I follow sports. I'm a rabbit sports fan, high school sports, the track programs of the city are a complete joke. Kids running in hallways, you know, it just, I I'm with you a hundred percent on this one, Cam Buckner. And uh, yeah, uh, in the bears, you're right. When you said that thing about the helmets is so true. Like kids sharing helmets on a football yeah. field. Ridiculous. Don't have a football program if you don't have enough money for helmets. You just yeah. don't have it. It's too unsafe. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you 100 percent on that one, Cam. We'll see. You know, it's a very int- it's Arlington Heights is coming face to face with the reality of what it means to subsidize uh, through property taxes a football field. And I'm not certain they want that reality. The Bears are doing everything; they're going to demolish the Arlington Heights racetracks, so or they can lower the value of the land they bought, so the assessment is. You guys are playing all kinds of cards, uh, yes. but I think folks in Arlington Heights are certain. Hmm, do we want to spend all this money? Is it worth it? And uh, yeah, now if I watch the Bears promise Arlington Heights to finance their football. F- teams and all the high schools, I will be so disgusted. It yeah. may be enough to make me root for... No. I'll I <laughs> say the Packers, but no, I, I don't know. I thought that was happens.
2: coming. I thought that <laughs> can do that now. All right,
1: Cam, I'll let you get back to the floor. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Have a great one. All right. That's Cam Buckner, State Representative Cam Buckner. I also want to thank Producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. And I think Cam will agree when I say, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of
0: petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jurovsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at ChicagoReader.com. Follow the Ben Jurovsky show on Instagram at Benny J Show and all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.